Hello everyone and welcome to the first Risk and Regulation Rundown episode of 2020. This is a monthly podcast where we discuss the latest risk and regulatory developments affecting our industry, some insights from our work with clients and our perspective on industry talking points. I'm Sarah Eisted, your regular host, and this month I'm delighted to be joined by George Pavel and Lee Bates to talk about compliance transformation and the regulation of artificial intelligence, known as AI. So let's start with AI, and I'm joined by Lee, who works with lots of our clients on data analytics and AI. So Lee, we hear a lot about AI, and particularly its potential to transform financial services. So can you start by telling us what we mean by AI and some of the practical ways that firms are using it? Yeah, of course, Sarah. And uh, first of all, I'm delighted to join you on this podcast. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about subjects I'm hugely passionate about and privileged to work in. Um, I guess before we get into the detail, uh, let me first share some insights on AI adoption. So from a PwC FinTech report late last year in 2019, 56% of global financial services executives we surveyed see AI as set to transform the way in which their services are delivered in the next two years. Goodness. This then increases to 85% when you look five years ahead. So for me, there's a real clear trend and evidence that the adoption of AI in financial services is growing at some pace. But to your question, Sarah, what do we mean by AI? It's a term used to describe many things and we read about it every day in the press and hear about it in our daily lives. AI will typically involve behaviors and decisions associated with human intelligence. So learning, reasoning, problem solving, motion, speech and image recognition, and to a lesser extent, social intelligence and creativity. Um, for financial services though, it's less about that cognitive AI like that used uh, by Amazon Alexa or Siri on your phone and it's much more typically the application of machine learning. So these are predictive self-learning models, which is a subset of the broader definition of AI. Now, specifically, machine learning take-up within financial services has increased dramatically in recent years. Uh, more than 60% of firms surveyed by the Bank of England last year in 2019 are using it in some form or other across their business. And the application is most advanced in banking and insurance. So given that um, significant increase in, in take-up, can you give some examples of how firms are using it to bring it to life for our listeners? Yeah, of course, Aaron. George, I might bring you in on this as well from a compliance transformation perspective. Um, so let me cover kind of a few examples, and then, uh, George, perhaps you can comment on compliance. Uh, certainly, we see applications around chatbots and robo-advice, particularly in areas of wealth management, so personalizing wealth content, investment advice, uh, through the use of virtual agents, and that's definitely something that we've seen a take-up on over recent years. Uh, investment banking, you know, trade matching, reconciliations, pricing, and algorithmic trading. Algorithmic trading is nothing new. It's always been using models and predictive algorithms, uh, but the take-up of some of the more recent technologies is definitely um, increasing with pace. The third area, I guess, is probably more general um, and something for a lot of firms to consider, and that's the area of data quality anomaly detection. So this is sifting through huge volumes of data in relatively short time periods to identify outliers without a need to build specific rules. So you can quite quickly identify issues within your data that might have a material impact either on a regulatory submission or on a customer outcome. So George, do you want to talk a little bit about compliance and what we see there? Yeah, absolutely. So within compliance, one of the main areas we see uh, machine learning and robotics being utilized is around things like AML, alert scoring, transaction monitoring, and fraud detection. 
I think these are the most common use cases that we see in the industry. Um, but beyond this, you're also beginning to see clients look at uh, using robotics for regulatory reporting. For, uh, for instance, identifying eligibility of reportable trades, uh, for instance, MIFID II transaction reporting, things like that. And I suspect we could go on with a huge list of, of where we're seeing it now. And, and I know some um, firms in the past have been slightly nervous about using AI and machine learning. But what are the benefits that it can bring to firms? Yeah, I mean, the benefits are quite far reaching, I think, for most firms. Um, clearly, you know, with this technology, you can take advantage of huge amounts of data, process that data in seconds for kind of near real time decisions. And this is becoming fast a reality now. And it was perhaps before a bit more challenging because the infrastructure wasn't there or it was hard to deploy um, AI models. Now with the accessibility of technology, cloud, algorithms that are in open source technology and, and open to the community, it's much more easy to build and deploy and, and run these algorithms. So speed is definitely one advantage. And we kind of talk about 24 by seven, always on, in the fact that an algorithm doesn't have to go for a coffee break. Um, it's always working, so there's an advantage there. And also, I guess that uh, it's kind of linked to efficiency, the reduction in errors, so the reduction in manual errors associated with human input. Um, obviously, that's caveated on data and the quality of that data as, a, as an input in the first place. And so, so some great benefits um, there. W what are some of the risks um, to firms as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we could talk quite a lot about some of the risks, um, and a lot of these have been in the press and media. But I think certainly, I think probably the biggest one for me is explainability and interpretability of models. So this is ensuring transparency, avoiding the so-called black box um, of being uh, difficult to explain and understand the model behavior and importantly the outcome of the model. Um, that's the first point. And I think linked to that is obviously meeting regulatory obligations and the regulatory regime, and also having a fair and transparent outcome to the consumer um, is really important. W one of the other areas that we can talk about a lot here, I'm sure, is bias and fairness. So AI models have the potential to promote a more objective, transparent approach, removing human error, as I've said before, uh, and removing prejudice. But models will only learn from training data that's unbiased. Um, and the root cause of poor models and poor outcomes could be incomplete, inaccurate, unrepresentative data, and therefore sufficient controls, safeguards uh, need to be in place um, moving, moving forwards. Uh, a couple of other areas um, that's worth talking about. One is data protection, data privacy. So ensuring personal data that's used in models is based on customer consent, uh, and, and it's imperative that that data is only used the accordance of, of legal purposes and, and govern robustly. So being clear on the lawful basis of that data is, is pretty critical for firms moving forwards. And so some, some risks there, um, but, but key benefits for the firms. What about from a consumer perspective? You, you touched upon it there in terms of you know, good customer experience. What, what are the benefits that consumers could get from the use of AI? Yeah, and I think, again, they're quite far-reaching. Uh, and clearly, I think one benefit is is about streamlining the customer experience and customer journey, um, particularly accelerating decisions. So applications for loans, for example, uh, can be pre-authorized and go through a much faster process to get the outcome to the client in a much faster time frame. The other is potentially a redu reduction in, in fraud. So you know, George talks on talks about the AML uh, use cases in compliance. 
you know, reducing the number of false positives that may result on your transaction being declined, you know, that could be reduced through the use of AI. Fantastic. So some great benefits there, um, which are really exciting, I think, for, con for consumers and firms. Now, in the past, um, I think some firms have been concerned about where the regulators might be going um, in terms of their thinking um, on AI. But I know they're starting to set out their expectations now. So can you tell us a little bit about where the regulators' thinking is? Yeah, that, that's right, Sarah. I think it's a topic of emerging priorities for regulators, both here in the UK and, and globally. Um, and we're expecting some important developments over the course of this year uh, as we start to develop this further in the industry. Um, what we could expect is regulation uh, on AI to take a form of a principles or outcome-based approach. And it's less likely to be prescriptive in terms of the way that um, the regulation will be prescribed. Um, in the UK, the Bank of England and Financial Conduct Authority have announced they will launch a forum to discuss AI and machine learning, including the right regulatory and supervisory approach to these tools. So we expect this will continue. Um, we do expect that regulators will adopt a technology-neutral position, meaning that um, you know firms will be obliged to treat customers fairly, establish the right governance arrangements, manage risks, irrespective of the mechanism that they're providing services to their, to their consumers. But equally, there's likely to be ongoing focus from the regulators on key themes such as explainability, bias, uh, data protection, accountability, and governance that I've talked about before. Um, at, at, a, at a more global level, so a European level, European Commission uh, president has pledged to introduce EU-wide rules to govern the deployment of AI and other international policies being set as well on this topic. So it's, a, it's a, an area of focus for both the supervis supervisors and uh, the governments there. Thank you, Lee. And your, your point about the regulators using a principles-based approach is something that we talked about in the last episode of our podcast with Connor, where we were talking about the future of regulation in general um, and the regulators looking to take a more principles-based approach. So it's interesting that their approach to technology regulation yeah. is, is following the same path. Um, now, one of the issues that I know my clients are always interested to talk about is accountability and particularly with the introduction of the senior managers regime across the industry now. Um, what is the regulator's approach to accountability um, for technology and AI in particular? So you raise a really interesting point, Sarah. I think individual accountability is clearly central to the regulator's approach here in the UK. And in the context of AI, this brings some unique challenges. Uh, for example, who is responsible for a decision? Who is responsible for an action? Uh, who's responsible for the strategy that's set by an AI model? It's um, it's a topic that brings many debates with our with our clients. Absolutely. Um, so I in the UK, the regulators are clear that there needs to be a senior level individual accountability in this area. And whereas regulators in other jurisdictions have more of a focus on the firm being accountable, so this is where an area of divergence could be: individuals versus firms, uh, and regulators taking a slightly different approach. The PRA, the Prudential Regulatory Authority, have stated firms will need to review how they are allocating individual responsibilities. So including under the senior manager and certification regime, uh, this is one area that, that definitely will bring some, some focus. Uh, the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, has also called for accountable individuals under SMR to ensure they are uh, able to explain and justify the use of AI systems, especially in the boardrooms. Um, so in practice, this is likely to mean board members and senior manager functions 
evidencing the explainability of their firm's AI and understanding its involvement with their own businesses and, and their own functions. So it's clear that regulators expect senior accountability for AI, but from our own PwC research, it suggests that only 34% of UK financial services firms have a C-suite individual responsible for digital innovation, technology, AI, etc. Which means there is a gap between regulators' expectations and what is the current reality. Definitely, and 34% is relatively low, actually. So there's clearly some work to be done by firms in, in terms of the senior individuals thinking through who's going to take responsibility. Um, and you've mentioned a couple of times explainability. Um, and that will be a challenge, I think, for that senior level individual to really be able to evidence how something is explainable and to justify it. Um, so what do you mean by explainability? And then what are some of the challenges in it for firms? Yeah, so um, let me just take a step back slightly. I think we've talked broadly about accountability of AI-based decisions, but explainability is just as critical, um, and it relates to how AI systems reach outcomes and how the rationale for these outcomes can be explained, both internally within firms and to your consumers, the end customers uh, of, um, of, the, of the decision. So... Better explainability of models should help overcome issues around the black box approach that I mentioned earlier um, and really deal with the, the process that occur between the initial input, the data inputs, and the output and the decision um, and ensure that's, that's understood. Now, in the UK, regulators are assessing how firms can balance that trade-off between AI to make effective decisions while also being able to explain those decisions to, to many stakeholders. Uh, and the FCA have signalled that firms should focus on achieving sufficient interpretability, uh, essentially ensuring that there is a compromise where uh, AI is working as intended, um, but making sure there's sufficient human oversight uh, around it as well. Um, so, so for me, I think it, an important note is that degree of explainability. It may differ depending on the particular use case. So if it's affecting a customer outcome, let's say it's a loan decision, you'd expect, expect that explainability to be really transparent and be able to really be clear about how that's made the decision. If it's a back office reconciliation process, you may not need to go to the same degrees of, of depth. Brilliant. And I, I just think this is a fascinating topic. When you think how far the industry's moved, even in the last couple of years, um, it'd be fascinating to see where the industry is in two, three years' time around some of these topics. So so thank you, Lee, for giving us a glimpse as to what the future might start to look like. Um, and on that um, theme of change, um, I'm joined now by George, um, who does a lot of work with clients on helping them transform their compliance functions in particular. Um, and AI is one example of where technology is helping change the way compliance team work. Um, but George, can you start by perhaps recapping for us how the compliance function has evolved over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Sarah. Um, I mean, first, just to touch on, I think the, idea that, uh, the ideas that Lee's covered there are going to be key to how compliance function is managed uh, for firms in the future. Um, as Lee mentioned, we're already seeing clients looking into how they can automate uh, traditionally highly manual compliance activities, things like using smart bots to provide advisory services, automation and monitoring and surveillance. All of this together raises the question of much further down the line, could we be looking at fully automated compliance functions? But, uh, Fascinating to concept. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to actually, uh, answer your question to bring us back to the compliance function of today. Um, 
So I think this is no news to anyone, but the, the context for all of this is the high pace of regulatory change that we've been seeing fairly continuously since 2007. Uh, with the rap rapidity of new regulations coming into effect, most firms have needed to deploy tactical solutions to get compliant as they need to be. This has naturally led to a significant increase in the size of the compliance function as organisations have had to rely largely on acquiring appropriately skilled, sta uh, skilled staff to fill the gaps as they come up. And so, so we've been through that sort of last sort of 12 years now and, and, and you've sort of given a view of, of where the functions are today. So what are some of the challenges that they're facing then given that evolution? So I think as a natural byproduct of the complexity of the uh, current regulatory environment and the organic nature of the growth of compliance functions we see in many organisations, I think firms are struggling with three fundamental points. Uh, the first is knowing for certain that they are compliant with all applicable rules and regulations. Uh, the second would be tracking how they're compliant with those. And finally, being able to develop an aggregate view of their compliance risk across their organization. Uh, in light of this, we've seen regulators increasing their focus on the quality of compliance and the management of compliance risk, rather than just the binary view of whether or not a firm is adequately compliant with a given piece of regulation. All of this is, as I'm sure you're fully aware, in the context of an ever-increasing cost pressure on organisations. So we're seeing firms trying to figure out how to do more with less and ensure that they meet their control needs while streamlining their cost base. Um, I suppose some specific challenges we're seeing uh, firms grapple with are how to develop a culture of compliance throughout the organisation, and especially regarding front office ownership of compliance risk. Uh, secondly, developing an integrated compliance framework to help move away from the more siloed operations and bring a more consistent global approach to supporting the business. Um, and finally, how to leverage emerging technologies such as those we've discussed uh, previously, uh, including robotics and AI, as, as Leah has covered in some depth, uh, to enhance the quality and consistency of compliance risk management whilst reducing the overall manual effort required. And, th and those challenges are not simple ones to, to address um, and, and are quite overlapping as well. So how are you seeing firms try to overcome those challenges and, and move forward? So what we're seeing generally falls into four broad buckets. Um, these would be people and process optimization, uh, organization model and location strategy reviews, um, technology and data, and finally integration of non-financial risk. So to explain what I mean by those, so th the first one, people and process optimization, this really focus focuses on looking at processes and teams which have been put in place in a tactical way to meet regulatory requirements, some of which may not have been revisited since they were first implemented. Um, and just looking at how we can better set up those processes and how we can better deploy the expertise and capabilities of those teams to deliver the compliance services to the firm. Um, to take uh, an example, we recently were working with a firm looking at their onboarding and KYC processes, and we classified, I think it was about 90% of the time there as non-value-adding time. Goodness. Um, yes. <laughs> so of that, with just tweaks to how the process worked and how people work together, we're able to release about 20% of the effort involved for people to focus on more value-adding uh, tasks. I'm sure that with the tools and, and methodologies that Lee's been covering, much more of that 90% could be freed up in future as well. 
Uh, secondly, um, I mentioned organizational models and location strategies. So um, this won't be a new topic to many of our listeners, I'm certain. Um, but with the fragmented nature of many firms' compliance functions, clients are looking to consolidate their core activities into centralized functions, both to try and get some efficiency out of that centralization, but also, and more importantly, to bring consistency to the compliance framework across the organization. Through that centralization, it does also raise some opportunities for clients to look at moving some of those centralized activities to lower cost locations. Although one thing I, I think I should mention is with the speed of growth uh, and development of the technological opportunities we've been talking about, some firms are starting to consider skipping that step and moving directly towards automation. That's interesting. And, and you mentioned the third area being technology uh, uh, as well. So, so tell us a little bit more about that in a compliance context. Yeah, so I mean, Lee has, has already covered in much more depth than I would be able to a, a lot of the things included in here. But um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, the emergence of robotics and AI is opening up options for the automation of areas, which traditionally have been the purview of um, kind of detailed compliance specialists. Uh, things like regulatory advice, um, which can potentially be provided by chatbots, uh, AI dynamically tracking and mapping changes to obligations, policy and control frameworks. And the difficulty with these is once you have put in place all those technological enhancements, how do you realign your organization to best work around them and get the most out of those opportunities? Um, and I think the final point is really the integration of non-financial risk. So a number of firms are, are continuing to explore this. We've seen clients looking at integrating compliance with financial crime, compliance with operational risk, or in fact, all three. Um, I think this is an area that the market is still exploring to understand what the benefits can be uh, brought out of it and how the holistic understanding of non-financial risk across the firm can really enhance management understanding of the risk profile of the organization as a whole. Fantastic. So, so some really interesting areas there. Um, I'm assuming that as the, finance, uh, as the compliance functions move forward, the, the skills that the individuals within those functions need will evolve as well, and, and therefore there'll be training needs, et cetera. So, so how do you see the skills changing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, as a starting point, as, as compliance moves towards more automation and increased use of technology, there'll be an increased need for technologically literate specialists in the compliance function who can, uh, as I mentioned, building that organization around your tools is as key as getting the right tools in place. So ensuring you've got the right skills to support the automation of solution and use those automated solutions is going to be key to getting the most out of the emerging reg tech. Maybe Sarah, I can just make a point of that, George, because I think, um, yeah, certainly from what I see talking to clients uh, of ours, in the, in the compliance space, there is definitely a trend towards um, skills around, for example, data analytics and ensuring that insight can be gleaned not from technologists but from compliance uh, SMEs, compliance professionals, in terms of using some of these tools to derive insights. And that requires a slightly different skill set uh, and training on the latest technologies. It's not necessarily building AI, AI models, but it's certainly deriving value from data through insights. And we'll, I think we'll see that trend continuing. Absolutely, and, and you, you mentioned earlier kind of training and awareness side of this, uh, Sarah. And I think there's also a piece within the existing compliance functions to expand on the awareness of compliance officers in how data scientists can be used to get the most out of the information that they have in their systems and the tools that they're bringing to bear on it. 
So, George, earlier on at the start of your um, uh, the start of the discussion, you talked about a potential vision of a completely robotic um, compliance function of the future, which may horrify some of our <laughs> listeners. So, what do you think is a realistic vision for what that compliance function may look like? So I think, realistically, you're never going to be able to replace the expertise of skilled compliance officers. Um, what we'd expect is a lot of the more mechanistic activities in compliance being brought together into central hubs and, to the extent possible, being conducted automatically. The aim of that would be to free up time of the highly skilled compliance officers so that they can direct their efforts more, more on supporting the business and helping the business to understand how to operate within the bounds of regulation rather than maybe being a uh, person that tells the business they can't do a thing. Um, I think another angle we need to be aware of is the increasing pace of innovation in products and services. So having staff that have a deep understanding of new and upcoming products, so things like crypto, things like new forms of algo trading, uh, is going to be key to help the helping the business stay in line with regulation and helping management maintain their understanding of the risk profile as, a, as the business continues to evolve. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I know we could keep going on, on these topics because they're fascinating and I think it's been great to start the new year with such a visionary um, discussion. So thank you both very much, Lee and George. That's been, that's been brilliant. Um, thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes um, and we will be back with another episode next month. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>